Guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Today, I have a lot rolling around that's been on my mind and my heart to speak about. And so, whenever that happens, I tend to, I tend to try to do too much in homilies. So I'll try to, try to put on the brakes a little bit today. But there are things that I really, that I really want us as a parish to be thinking and praying about. Uh, of course, what I'm referring to are the terrible events that we're seeing in the news on a frighteningly regular basis involving uh, the taking of innocent life, the school shootings, uh, those terrifying things that, um, that hit very close to home. Because I look at the, the 19 faces of the, those children down in Texas, and I see the kids at our school, right? Same, same faces, same names. What I have to do is offer some reflection on what the gospel has to say about these events. We have plenty of people trying to say, here's what you should think about this event, and here's how we need to change our laws, our social order, our political outlook, whatever, whatever the case may be. There's plenty of voices saying that. But one thing that I have not been hearing much of this, these last few weeks is what, what does the gospel actually have to say about these things? I don't know about you, but that, that seems to be in short supply. We have a lot of finger pointing. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are reasons for that. Some of the details of that Rob Elementary um, event I think some fingers need to be pointed. There's some real problems. But what does the gospel have to say about these things? How do we see them from the perspective of Catholic Christians, baptized Christians, who have been commissioned by our risen Savior to go and preach the message of repentance? And the thing that I kept coming back to, the thing that I haven't been hearing much of in these last few weeks, not only about the Texas shooting, but the one in Buffalo and the other the other cities, I, I can hardly keep track of them all now. question rises in my mind. What could possibly give rise to a set of actions like that? What could possibly motivate someone to do such things? And we hear a lot of reasons, speculative reasons, about why that is. Why people do the things that they do. The, er- the evil, terrible, uh, awful things. And I find all of the answers that are being given completely unsatisfying. I'm sure mental illness had a part to play in it. I'm sure drugs or video games or gun culture all had a part to play in it. But those are fundamentally unsatisfying answers, aren't they? After all, it's only been in the last 30 or 40 years that such things happen. Some of you are old enough to remember times when there were no school shootings. When people regularly brought guns to school and no one batted an eye because everyone knew. We trust one another. We respect one another. We value one another. Having a rifle in the back of your pickup truck window was no sign of concern. 
Things have changed. Times have changed. We have changed. I find all of the answers about why these things happen and the solutions that are being proposed completely unsatisfying. And what I'm brought up against every time I look at more details about these stories is that the only explanation for why someone would do something like this is hell. Everything else, it's, it's deeply unsatisfying as an explanation. That there is a spiritual power at work that takes control of people when they give control to it and takes them to a place where they do unspeakable things. Things that have no motivation other than delighting in destruction and death. A fascination with death, a slavery to death. And I know that may feel unsatisfying to some, but our faith teaches us that such a spiritual power exists. It is a personal reality. It is a spiritual person with intelligence and incredible power who is our enemy that wants to destroy us and to see us condemned with him to eternal punishment. And the question I keep coming back to is, did the perpetrators of these actions believe in hell? Did they believe they were going there? Did they believe they had no hope? And that their slavery to death was inescapable? I don't know the answers to those questions. I would be speculating just as much as the people listing off all of the social or political or cultural reasons for why these things have become distressingly common. But I can confront the question of whether I believe in hell and that my actions, should I choose to live in a, a way that brings me into disobedience and opposition to God, could land me there. Do we, as a church, take that seriously? One of the things that I think has happened in the last, well, I won't give a timeline. One of the things that I think is a present reality for the church is that we have heard the call to mercy, but we've misunderstood it. We've, we've mistranslated God's mercy into something that it, that it simply is not. Mercy is to be saved from something. But if there's nothing to be saved from, what does mercy really mean? Think about that. If there's nothing to be saved from, what does mercy really mean? I fear that the way most of us hear and believe in mercy, we understand that not to be 
an act by which God has wrung from his own flesh in his own drops of blood suspended from the cross all of the punishment due to sin in order to save us from that. Instead, we hear something more like, ah, don't worry about it. That's not mercy. If we think that God's mercy is simply wiping the slate clean at no cost to himself or anyone else, then we have deceived ourselves. It is only through the blood of Jesus, says St. Paul in our second reading, it is only through the blood of Jesus that we have any confidence of entering the sanctuary, that is heaven. By the new and living way he opened for us, through the veil of his flesh. That's why we have hope. Because Jesus has paid the price for sin. And as I look at the grief and the anguish in the faces of those people mourning the loss of their children in what's, what is a completely senseless act, you can't make sense of it. I think to myself, how could any one human being pay for that? Only God could do that. Only God could pay for that pain and suffering that's been inflicted. None of us could possibly make reparation, even a drop of reparation that would be meaningful, into that sea of anguish. Our efforts to make reparation are meaningless. We have to confront <clears throat> we have to confront the reality that hell exists and that God sent his son to save us from it. How do we access the salvation that God has won for us in Christ Jesus on the cross by his passion, death and resurrection? It is through repentance. That is the church's mission, to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the Gospel of Luke says. Preach repentance. We access God's mercy through repentance, confessing our sin, praying for a hatred of sin in ourselves, seeking ways by God's grace to be free of sin, to set aside and resist temptation, and to pursue righteousness. That's how we have entrance to the sanctuary, by the power of his blood to bring us to repentance. So any attempt to make mercy available without, without repentance, it's a distortion of the gospel. God does not simply wipe the slate clean. That's not mercy, that's apathy. That's not a father, that's a deadbeat dad. And until the church, until the disciples of Jesus feel the weight of the possibility of damnation for themselves, we will lose sight of the value and the power of mercy. This is our role. 
This is the job of the church, to bring others to repentance, to join us, <clears throat> to join us in what we ourselves have done and are continuing to do, to reject sin and to seek righteousness through the blood of Jesus. And if we as a society forget that this is what a, a true human and Christian culture is meant to be, then we will only see more of the same and worse. That's what's on my mind and heart. Some of you have perhaps read about how law enforcement officers stood outside that school for over an hour while shots rang out as one by one those lives were taken, those precious lives were taken. And I can't help but think of those disciples standing on the Mount of Olives, staring up after Jesus, and the angel saying, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? Get to work. The, the angel says that to the church even now. As we, perhaps, <clears throat> transfixed by evil or by apathy, stand dazed, unfocused, without purpose, unfaithful to our mission to preach repentance in his name. Let's get to work, beginning with ourselves. Let's not stand by on the sidelines while others fall into hell. Hell is real. Our actions can bring us there. In the end, if there isn't such a thing as hell, then really, what do our choices matter? If the same reward awaits the righteous and the unrighteous. If I can kill, murder, rape, cheat, lie, manipulate, rob. And God says, don't worry about it. You're forgiven. Without any act of repentance on my part. Then why not murder, rape, steal? Lie. Cheat. Why not? If there is no punishment for sin, then nothing I do matters. None of my choices matter. And I'll be honest, I think there's something in that failure to believe that many of us have come to recognize. It doesn't really matter. There's a crisis of meaning and purpose in the church and in society because nothing matters if there's no ultimate justice. It's all just waiting for the whole thing to spin out and then God will come along and fix it all. He will, but not without the work of mercy. 
This is a great mystery. But we have to take seriously the reality that our actions do matter. For good and for ill. And that's true of everyone, not just the psychopathic murderers. It's true of everyone. So, what I'm being forced to confront and to think about and to listen to in my own mind and heart right now, in these times, I believe, is that we are all called to be aggressive against evil. First and foremost, by repenting, living lives of repentance, making reparation for first our sins and those of the whole world. Previously, I said no one person could pay for all of the effects of sin, and that's true. But because Christ, because Christ has taken on the sin of the world and put it to death in his own flesh, we now, as members of his body, have a role to play in cooperating with the salvation of the world, in bringing God's grace into our own lives, into our own neighborhoods, into our own parishes, into our culture and our society. Through means of our loyalty to him, our repentance is a declaration, I am on the side of the true victorious king over death. That's who I belong to, day in and day out. We know how to do this. We know the ways in which this will unlock grace and mercy in our lives. Repent and be baptized. Believe in the gospel. Do this in memory of me. Confess your sins to one another. And if we needed a reiteration or a renewal of those same, so those same calls, we hear again and again the message of repentance intensified by Our Lady. Pray the rosary every day. Go to confession. Meditate before the Eucharist. These are the weapons of a war that sends evil back to where it came from. Father, I don't need to go to confession. I hardly get outside to do anything. I can't even sin. I, I, I'm stuck inside. Well, you too are called to be powerful against evil. Unite your sufferings to the foot of the cross. You fall down and get a bruise. You can't, you're, in a, you're, you're tied up with some injury or some illness. Drag yourself to the foot of the cross and unite that suffering to Jesus for the conversion of sinners and, and the, the healing of the world, the broken world. You can't come to Mass because you're stuck at home. Your bed is your altar and you're the offering. Take this, Jesus. Use it. Every choice you make matters. Every decision you make to serve the kingdom of God matters. Don't say, I'm only 13. I don't have anything to contribute to this. Wrong. You're a baptized Christian. Your desire to serve God is powerful. Every choice that you make to grow in virtue, to grow in love for the Lord, to care for those to whom he's put in your path, that's your service for the kingdom, and you are a soldier in a great battle. Your choices matter.
Brothers and sisters, we have to use these things. We have to take seriously the possibility that if we do not take advantage of them, if we do not use these tools, souls will fall into hell. And that's the only real tragedy in the end. Don't say, I'm too old to be spiritually active against evil. Don't say, I'm too young to be aggressive and to fight spiritual wars. Don't say, I'm too busy. Don't say, I'm not educated enough. Don't say, I'm not holy enough. When you were baptized, you were given the commission and the tools to do just this. And if you don't, the world will continue on its path. We will continue to see the same effects of unrepentant evil in the world. But we have been so called. We have been so equipped. And we ought not place judgment on ourselves as to whether or not we are actually capable of being fruitful in this war. Just because we're not shot callers, because we're not the people in charge of our society or our, or our culture, doesn't mean we aren't powerful. St. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In other words, no one has any excuses not to fight. It doesn't matter how long we've been Catholic. It doesn't matter whether or not we're American citizens. It doesn't matter whether or not we have all of the things in place that we think we need in order to do the work that God has sent us into the world to do. He's told us what he wants. He's told us how to get it done. He's given us the power to do it. Let's get to work. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.